0: Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program. We have a lot to talk about today. A lot to talk about. Isn't it amazing how easy it is for our president, for Republicans, for neoliberal Democrats to really sell the need that Ukraine has For $33 billion over five months to win the war against Russia, it was an existential problem. And I have no problem with that, right? Yes, I want Ukraine to be successful. In as much as Ukraine suffers much of the ills that we have from a socio-political point of view, but that said, the better option is for Ukraine to come out ahead. But we could find the money. It's existential. But you know what is this existential? People in America that need support from an over-imposing, Russian economic system— that prevents them from getting ahead, where if they just had a helping hand, they could actually grow and make it. If it's for arms, the defense industrial complex gets what it needs. Well, today we are going to have economist uh, uh, Blair Keisha Blair. We're also going to ha- talk about student loans and many other important issues of the day. So stay. It's a, it's a full program. Hang with us. But you know what? We are going to get busy. Our Senator Tester of Montana says, capitalism isn't working anymore in this is- instant. He's talking about in rural America, he's talking about uh, meat packers, etc., etc., et cetera, et, cetera, et cetera. Let's listen to what he has to say and then take it on the other side because this is rather important.
2: Egg production has gotten far more consolidated the 44 years since I took over the farm in 1978. No Democrat speaks to the concerns of farmers
3: and rural voters more clearly than John Tester. He has performed the political miracle three times now of getting elected to the Senate as a Democrat in Montana, a state that has not voted for a Democrat for president since 1992. Robert Leonard's New York Times op ed this week is titled, Biden has already done more for rural America than Trump ever did. Robert Leonard describes how the Biden infrastructure bill is bringing necessary improvements where he lives. In- Iowa and says, quote, with more than 450 rural hospitals in danger of closing with funds from the American Rescue Plan, the Biden administration program, Energy Rural Health Care Grants will award up to $43 million to benefit 2.2 million people across 22 states. Senator Tester is worried about what increasing monopolistic practices of big business have done
2: to the supply chain for food. Capitalism isn't working in this particular instance because of uh, concentration and consolidation in the industry. Consumers are paying higher prices because without competition, they're set without regard to what people can afford. Because we've seen a mass exodus off the land. Rural America is drying up. On the other side of the equation, we see consumers that are being treated unfairly in the marketplace because there's no competition. Today, we can address both of those issues with these bills.
3: And joining us now is the senior senator from Montana, John Tester. And uh, one thing I love about our discussions on this program is anyone in this town of Washington can talk about politics, not Everyone can talk about government and not everyone can talk about government in a way that everyone can understand it. And uh the, the way you approach this, this subject for, in that hearing yesterday, uh, with that, that line, and I've heard you say something like this before, that capitalism isn't working in this spot where we need it to work, which is the efficient delivery of our food products to the marketplace. I mean, that line, capitalism
2: isn't working,
3: is something you might expect to hear from Bernie Sanders somewhere, but, but it's a John Tester line.
2: Well, look, uh, it's not working because, as you pointed out, we've got monopolistic nature of the four biggest packers that have control over 80% of the food that's delivered in this country. It's not much different worldwide. For capitalism to work, you have to have competition. And if you have competition, that's good for the folks on the ground, the cow calf operators. In this case, it's good for the small, to medium sized feeders, and it's good for the consumer uh, because it'll help regulate prices. Right now, that's not the case. Uh, the ranchers are getting not near enough what they need to stay in business for their for their product, the calves. And on the other side of the occasion, you've got the folks that are buying meat in a meat counter that are paying way, way more than they should if there was competition in this system, if capitalism was really working. Uh, that wouldn't be the case. These bills that were put forth will help solve that problem. What will they do? What will your legislation well, do? Well, basically... Uh, I am not for shutting down the big feed, the big packers. What I am for is getting more transparency and making sure they're following the law. We passed the Packers and Stockyards Act in 1921 because of consolidation in the meat industry. Today, it's more consolidated than it was in 1921. During the, 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 since the late 70s that I've been on the farm and I've take, took over a farm that my folks and grandparents ran before me. We're seeing consolidation happening much quicker. And in the end, it's drying up rural America. These small towns that I knew when I was a kid are just small uh, small uh, pieces of, of, of that culture because they've, they've dried up. My town, a 1,000 people in 74 when I graduated from high school now has 600. The high school had 160 kids. Now it's got about 40 kids. Uh, the truth is, is that you know, uh, hardware stores no longer exist. We had three grocery stores, now we've got one. We had three grain elevators, now we got zero. The, the, the problem is is that we need some changes here. We need the system to work, or our food chain is going to be put at risk. And by the way, if, if we lose family farm agriculture and family ranch agriculture in this country, that food chain will be put at risk. And I am telling you, democracies don't work unless you've got a fed society.
0: Okay, I have some news for Brother Tester, Senator Tester. Uh you you your initial statement was correct. Capitalism is not working. But you added in this instant and you're talking about on the farms, right? And th- th- you you've then prefaced and said, "Uh I don't want to shut down the big meat packing guys. I don't want to touch I don't I just want it to be fair. I just want I, I don't want it to be monopolistic." Here's the reality. Milton Friedman already gave Capitalism, marching instructions. The only people that matter are the shareholders and the executives, the people who get bonuses. Nobody else matters. It is not their job. To do any social issues, you're talking about capitalism should be working as well in, in on the farm. It doesn't, you know how farming should really be working as a collective. You know what those milk? You remember what the milk guys used to do? They pulled their milk together. They built milk factories. You remember what the corn guys did at one time? They built. They, they got together and they built. Gasohol. Uh, they They built plants that created alcohol. They built. Uh, they they worked together as a collective, and together like some of the orange producers as well, as collectives. Now the capitalists come in and they say, hey, farmer number one, two, and three, I'll give you several hundred dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, several million dollars. All you do is you provide us with this stuff all the time. And then we go ahead and, and capitalize on your grain transmitter and all these different equipments that Processing, we take care of processing for you. We take care of all these things for you and we capitalize it. We create stocks and bonds and all of these different financial instruments so that we can turn your hard work into what it's all about. So you were correct with the first half of your sentence. Capitalism doesn't work in any instant, however. It only works for the capitalists, and that's a minute number of people. They give others the semblance of it working for you. You know, they make you believe you have a job, but you still have to have credit cards. Let's be frank here, folks. Collectives work. Collectives work. Capitalism in your food supply is going to create the same kind of problems it create in every sort of supply let's get that into your heads folks let's remember that Now that we're getting serious about student loans, a business class, I think, is getting a bit concerned. So they're going to try to say that some people are not really interested in uh, in supporting the student loan forgiveness. I paid mine. Why don't you? A lot of these things. Now, look, let me give. Well, I'll give my personal experience at the end. But I want you to listen to this and then we'll go ahead and take it on the other
4: side. If you forgive all the student loans, they don't get their money back, of course. Um, but what's the dynamic yeah, I between think the politics and the I think it's broader here. than that. And I think yeah. as you go into the midterms, I don't know. If, when you look at the polling on this, there's yeah. a whole group of people who are very happy who desperately want these loans to be forgi- forgiven. But By the way, there's a whole group of people who don't want them to be forgiven, in part because they think to themselves, I paid my loans. Exactly. Right. I paid my loans back. I don't understand why these guys are going to um, get a free ride. And so, and, and other folks who say not only that, they say, look, to make this whole system work eventually Higher education needs to cost less We can't, we can't continue to have but, these but, prices by the way, and, and government effectively is pushing that up So yeah. it, 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 is a, it is like a third rail issue You would think it wouldn't be Because in so many ways Rationally you think people just want the money But there's people on the other side of this issue Gene, you get the sense That may be why President Biden Keeps kicking the can down the road Because there are a lot of people If you look at the polls and say Wait a second, hold on I spent 15 years paying back my student loan. They're going to just forgive it for somebody else. And so it, it almost seems like he's like, OK, four more months, five more months instead of making a definitive decision.
0: First of all, you got to start somewhere. Here's the reality, right? When I went to school, one semester hour cost four dollars for in-state $40 for out of state. By the time it was time for my daughter to go to the same university, it costs more than 10 times that amount for a semester hour. So let's be clear here. What has really occurred is that over the years, the corporatocracy has stopped paying taxes requiring more and more and more out of the students' own pockets. I know that some people are going to say, well, these, these educators, they spend so much money on buildings and X, Y, Z. Look, the real bottom line is we're not collecting enough taxes for people to go to uh, extended college at an affordable rate. The reality is I believe that all college should be free and only if you use your college education to create your own company should you be responsible for paying paying it back. Because here's a kicker. We are educating people, right, to make profits for shareholders and corporations because they get a base of people ready to work for them without having to have had to pay the taxes to educate them. But not only that, they then give them loans to go to school. So the person who gets out of school, they're paying interest on a loan so that they can make money for shareholders of corporations. It's a vicious cycle that keeps employees, that keep workers as indentured servants. They're always owing to the corporation either for their loans or owing to the corporation's because they've they've paid to be educated so that they can work in some corporation to make somebody else profit who's sitting down at their pools education should be free you may say well that would be wasteful that devalues my education that's not a devaluing of the education what it says is the following if you are capable of doing it there should be no there shouldn't be a financial barrier to stop you from success in other words Everybody should have equal access to success, and if you can handle the work, and you prove that you handle the work, and while you're handling the work, you continue to maintain your grades, you should be able to go to school free of charge because you are helping society going forward. Well, it seems like uh, Brother Biden is going to do something about it because, um, well, we don't know what it is exactly, but here is another report, and we'll take it on the other side.
4: Congressman, I
1: know that I couldn't uh, have this conversation if we didn't talk about student debt, which is such an important issue for you. What do you hope to see in the future? Well, my two asks that I personally asked of the president as my responsibility in that room was to ask two things. One, would he continue to uh, the, lift the moratorium beyond until the end of the year when it may expire this August? He smiled at me and said that I'm gonna be. we are going to be very pleased with his decision on that front. Secondly, I said, will you please consider um, uh, foregoing at least $10,000 in debt or more to every uh, American who is, has student loan debt? He said, Once again, we're going to be very pleased with that. He's working on that already. We'd love to see him uh, eliminate student debt across the board. But anything in that direction is going to be a positive
0: uh, effort. And we look forward to the president doing so. Yes, but we do need more than just a positive effort. We ultimately need to ensure that going to college, going to trade school or whatever, whatever option post high school, Somebody wants that they can be provided that education either affordable or, 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 or pay it forward. because like I said, let's do remember most of the, most people go work for somebody else and these institutions of education prepare them to work for somebody else. so that somebody else should be vested in that person's education, that somebody else should pay their fair share. There's not magic to that, it is quite simple. Again, let's make sure and keep the narrative right. Let's not allow them to continue to make it seem like giving by repaying student loan or forgiving student loans is some sort of a giveaway. It is not, it's a repayment for something that needed to have been done from its inception. It is true. Progressive and Democrats have a story to tell. Please listen to what President Obama said and these two pundits have to say, because it is important that this message gets across to Americans before they make a grave mistake and put folks into office who would do nothing that then destroy their personal economies. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side.
5: A paycheck, but the problem is all that wage growth that we've been talking about over the last year gets wiped out when you factor in the higher prices.
1: Yes, although uh, a lot of us worry a lot about inflation at the moment because things like food and gas—they're the prices rising the most. They're the uh, most—they're the biggest share of the the consumption basket of low-income people. On the flip side, to the extent that we're seeing wage growth, it's actually been stronger among low-income people. So perhaps real wages after inflation are actually rising for those folks, even if they're not rising for folks higher up in the income distribution.
5: President Obama was speaking to our colleague Al Roker today about that good news in the economy. Watch this.
2: Inflation is a real issue. A lot of it is having to do with the COVID and supply chains and now uh, Putin's gas tax, essentially, uh, by virtue of uh, his invasion of Ukraine. Uh, But the underlying economy, there's a good story to tell. Democrats have to uh, go out there and and tell the story. Ultimately, the voters decide on this thing
5: mark this is what you do you craft these stories and how do you talk about those good things but what because what they've done is help the rich right for people who have white collar jobs people who own their homes people who invest in the stock market they've saved a lot they've made a lot but for those living paycheck to paycheck things only got worse how do you tell that good story
1: well, I think Justin uh, made a great point, which is that when you talk about the, the, the jobs, the job market and the job situation, the place where it's really improved is for low economic workers. And, and, and the reality is that most of them now can find jobs. Most of them can find jobs that pay more than they were making before, and in many cases, a lot more than what they were making before. Is it keeping up with inflation? Not necessarily. But I think we're at a point where the jobs are scarce. The, 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 the wages are rising. And I think the, the other factors are bound to kick in. So it could equalize itself over time. And, and the fact is that there's a great story to tell about jobs and, and wages.
0: Now, I want to clarify something. It is true that there are more jobs. It is true that all those things are true, that the jobs are paying more. It is also true that we have inflation, but there's an additional message that Democrats have to put out there. They have to put out there that the corporatocracy are raising prices not because their cost has increased, but because they know the American population has more money, both from the stimulus and from the, the required higher wages that they're demanding. So in effect, what they're doing is taking back what was given to those who needed themselves growth. So the other piece that the uh, that the Democrats and progressives need to do is appropriately identify who the villain is or who the villains are, and that is corporations right now. They are choosing. It is important here. Inflation doesn't come out of the sky. Even the way President Obama said it and the way these two pundits said it, they make it seem like, like inflation is uh, it is inevitable. They make you believe that somehow uh, these prices had to go up because no, they did not have to go up. They didn't have to go up. These people are pilfering the American people. And that is the message that we have to get across. They have price and power. The American people don't. Whatever they say the price is, given that the American people have money, they will pay it in other words instead of the americans taking that extra money that they have to build up their savings to build up their assets to save for retirement the corporate class is taking it all back and what we have to do as a society if we're not going to cl- clamp their wings is we're got to tell we've got to tell the truth these guys are heathenous monsters who decide that they will not allow the average American person to get ahead because everything they believe is theirs. And I'm not saying this out of spite. I'm not saying this out of being frustrated with the corporate class. It is the evil within that is causing the inflation. Do not sit back there and believe Inflation is being caused because we have a shortage of things and people are running to buy. If we had a shortage of things, the stores wouldn't be stocked. Gasoline lines would be out there, but we have no shortage of gasoline. We have no shortage of products. Therefore, there should be no inflation. We have inflation because they can price it. Do not allow the mainstream media to lie to you and do not allow anyone. protect what the corporate structure is doing to the american people right now you want you want private sector control without regulations that's what we have right now democrats should win 2022 democrats will win 2022 if they follow some of the rules that many of us in the progressive space have been putting out i want you to the argument currently against democrats is Inflation is high. They cannot control inflation. So therefore, throw them out and bring in the anti-democratic group into power. Somehow they're going to do a better job. Of course, we know that's a fallacy. But let's go ahead and listen to this question that Chuck Todd asked uh, one of Bernie Sanders past um, or one of Bernie Sanders uh, subjugates or advocates. And I want you to listen to his reply because it's important and then we'll take it on the other side. This is something for us all to emulate.
1: Does the Senator accept though the idea that the the checks that you said were enormously popular they were. actually contributed to our current inflation. Yeah, this again, it hurts my soul around this fight because if you're a Biden administration, and not other Democrats, this is an opportunity to lean in. What happened with the stimulus checks? We gave money into people's pockets, mm-hmm. child tax credit, you know, unemployment insurance benefits, and stimulus checks. What happened when we gave that money out? Corporations came around and stole it. That's what happened. They took it back out of your paycheck. Why? Because they wanted to report not. Profits, mm-hmm. Chuck. Record profits. S&P 500, you look at their profits off the charts. That was a choice by corporations. So, yeah, I could raise that potato bag of potato chips by 25 cents. I could increase the cost of this car by $1,000. But everyone thinks there's supply chain snarls out there. So what you're and, saying, and the in inflation environment, issue should be on the corporate. A hundred percent. Lead that fight to say, hey, yeah, it sure, maybe there should have been some price increases. But what happened was price gouging, price collusion, uh, corporate power in America trying to get take literally take, reach into your pocket and say, oh, I see you got some money there mm-hmm. coming back to me. And if you just look at the record profits of these corporations, that is the fight. That is the fight. Who, people are asking, who the hell is going to take them on? The, it is the government's responsibility to take that fight on. I think uh, you've made clear <laughs> you'd like to see the Democrats have some fight in them. I mean, that, oh. you've used that word a lot. And I say that muscularity. No yes. it does seem like as you that, that is among the biggest problems. Right. Executive order. I mean, I, we appreciate, everyone's going to appreciate that sometimes these fights are hard, you're going to lose. Right. But you've got to lean in, whether it's executive orders, putting legislative votes on the floor again, you know, go around the country, wield it, you know, wield that authority.
0: Now, you have to ask the question, whether it is that Democrats can't fight or it is that they also know that they are in the pockets or rather they are in the pockets of the plutocrats, the executives, the corporatocracy. Let's be clear here. You hear how he said it distinctly. Why do we have inflation? Because the corporations are stealing your money. They know that you had, you got some more money in a stimulus, they know that you're getting more wages, and they're going to take it back away. We've discussed this many times on Politics Done Right. We've also had Dr. Economist Professor Richard Wolf come and tell you, price and power belongs to the corporations. They decide how much to charge. And like I mentioned before, if you don't have shortages of products, which we don't have, if you have people that are buying the same amount of product, which they are, and then the only difference you have is price increases, which is inflation, and also that is reflected into the bottom line of the corporations with record profits, that means that corporations made the choice to create inflation. Again, right now, many Democrats are sitting back and and, and, and licking their wounds as if they should be held responsible for the inflation rate because of the stimulus package, etc. You notice a question that Chuck Todd asked. That is what they want you to believe. Is Bernie Sanders ready to take responsibility that even though a lot of people like the stimulus, given the stimulus, overheated the economy? Given the stimulus did not overheat the economy. Are you saying that people should live in a permanent state of poverty, in a permanent state of want, in a permanent state of need? You are if you believe that given a stimulus overheated the economy, you are saying that you are pervy to an economy that cannot support people living at a certain rate of happiness, of a certain rate of having the appropriate finances. Because if you think Giving people what they deserve, and not even what they deserve—less than what they deserve—but what they hadn't had. If you think for one minute that just just letting people just exist is what your economy stands for, and if for some reason people get a little bit more, it goes into inflation. It doesn't work that way. The billionaires continue to uh, to amass their billions during the pandemic. The billionaires continued to pill for Americans. And they're doing right now. Democrats should be leaning in and pointing out that it's corporate thievery. It's a capitalist thievery that is occurring right now. And until we change the messaging paradigm, until we change it in its entirety and stop allowing the mainstream media, Chuck Todd saying, well, is Bernie ready to accept responsibility for overheating the economy by promoting the stimulus, which everybody likes? Hell No. Bernie's not sorry. Bernie wants more stimulus. We need to take away a lot more money from the billionaires, which they got on your backs. That is what we need to do. When are we going to see the big picture? When are we going to understand the concept that every capitalist knows? What is the price of a product? Whatever the market can bear. In other words, whatever we can steal from you. That is the price of the product. Listen to what we talked about a few days ago with Dr. Richard Wolf. That is what it's all about. Chuck Todd, I'm glad you asked that question because it should give the impetus to every Democrat to go ahead, every progressive to answer that question. And anyone who doesn't answer that question the way you just heard it answered is in the pockets of the corporatocracy. Ayman Yeldin asked the most important question about these tapes that were released. You know, I've been asking this all week, all week, wondering when does the security of a nation where reporters are responsible for reporting the fourth estate to inform us so that we can make decisions where do their responsibilities end? Think about what occurred here. We had reporters holding back pertinent information because they want to write a book. Well, it was great to see a host address that. I want you to listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side.
4: There's one more angle to the Kevin McCarthy saga that we wanted to discuss tonight, and it has to do with the audio recordings themselves. Uh, Two reporters from The New York Times obtained these recordings and waited to release them so they could be used in their upcoming book. And so the question is, is it okay to hold on to information like this? Uh, These journalists are certainly not the first to hold on to explosive information to help promote and sell their books. But when recordings could change the course of history or perhaps have serious political ramifications, should in history went out. Says so Danielle, I uh, set the record straight here. Should this audio have been released as soon as it was obtained, or is it being released at the right time?
5: You know, Amen. it should have been released when it was obtained. Right, I actually am tired of journalists holding on to permanent information that could change the course of history so that they could make money, so that they can sell books. We're talking about our democracy here. This is not something that is light, something that should be overlooked. And journalists, media has a responsibility to tell the truth, to inform the people, so that we have an informed citizenry that can make decisions. How can we make decisions about the Republican Party and how they have devolved? if we don't have all of the information that is necessary because you want to sell a book, right? Like at some point in time, you have to put your country ahead of capitalism.
0: We, she is so right. These reporters, they come across, I mean, and you know, they got respectability after he released the tape. This is what we have. And in the book, we're going to say X, Y, Z. Well, that had a particular effect on whether Trump would have been impeached or not. After hearing Kevin McCarthy say that and others, how many senators would have said, oh, my God, you know, it turns out that we probably should impeach this guy because he is a clear and present danger to the country, even if he has 10 more days in office. After all, he has the keys. After all, he is the one who can provide security clearance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, with those last 10 days that he has left. I mean, when are we going to start judging these people as they should? They are the fourth estate. The reason they have the access to be able to get that type of information is because they're journalists. It is their responsibility to use what they've attained to inform the public appropriately. And that they hold these things back for books later on to enrich themselves is the exact reason we continue to be in the situations that we're in today. Today, we have the honor of having Keisha Blair. Ms. Blair is a trained economist and extensive has extensive experience in the public, private, and not-for-profit sector. She was part of the Prime Minister's Delegations to World Economic Forum in 2018, as well as the East Asia Summit in Singapore. She led events such as the Most Powerful Women Summit in Montreal, Canada, And the Fortune Global Forum. She is a graduate of the Executive Leadership Program at Harvard University's John F. Kennedy School of Government and has an MSc in Public Policy from Carleton University in Ottawa. She is the author of Holistic Wealth 36 Life Lessons to Help You Recover from Disruption, Find Your Life Purpose, and Achieve Financial Freedom, and is the founder of Institute on Holistic wealth welcome to politics done right miss Blair how are you doing today
5: I'm good and thank you so much for having
0: me well you know we'll we'll, we'll have it no other way anyway I'm um, after after getting your information that you you have you touch on all the topics that we discuss here at Kate, at um at politics done right so we're happy to have you thank you so kindly for being with here with us how are you doing I'm good I'm good and how are you I am fine well anyhow let let's get started um what's going on in the economy as you see it today throughout the world
5: <clears throat> uh, like I, I there's so much going on, so much economic disruption, you know, and I think we're all feeling it in our pockets. uh We see the rising food prices, rising oil prices there's high inflation uh interest rates are growing uh going up as governments try to stem the high inflation by using um, that tool of monetary policy. And so people will see their mortgages going up. They'll see the cost of living going up. And it will seem tight because salaries have been stagnant. Uh, But that's what's going on. And and we know with the Russia-Ukraine war, that has caused several disruptions to transportation, supply chain disruptions. Uh, You know, several products such as wheat, um, you know, with with the Ukraine being the world's breadbasket have been affected. So I think that's what we're seeing. Uh, There have been predictions that it will get worse. We might be going into a recession Towards the end of the year
0: let make- me stop you there because I hear those predictions all around what are yeah. your thoughts and not the predictions because as an economist what's your own belief as far as uh, when you look at these stats that that are really out there because I have some myself
5: yeah okay I, I definitely so I, I I do think that we will end up in some sort of a recession you know, based on when you look at history. And I did mention in my book, too, that, you know, we've seen these crises before. I did mention the 2000 to 2009 period as the last decade. And I had mentioned in the book, too, that I'm hoping that this one won't become another last decade. But it's looking, it's looking likelier and likelier given what's happening globally and geopolitically. Now, I, I do think we are headed there. Uh, but we have to watch to see what's going to happen. Uh, but as, as an economist, uh, the signs are there. And it's, it's a hard balance, right? With, with increasing interest rates, it's a hard balance with what's going on with war, with COVID-19. There's so many factors at place.
0: You know, um, Ms. Blair, I am not an economist. I'm an engineer, but who studied economics in college as well. And, you know, one of the things that that differs between, let's say, engineering and let's say the stockbrokers, et cetera, is we don't buy into um, what I like to call non math and, uh, you know, I have you on as one of our, you know, of our leading economists. We're also having Richard Wolff on and a couple other economists on. And what I've been trying to do is probe economists as to uh, what I call the insanity factor of our economic system, where we go through these things. I mean, you just mentioned in your in, in your monologue there that um, you hope this is not a lost decade, but based on how things are going, it just could be again. And unfortunately, based on how things work, I agree with you, sadly. and But the insanity of doing things over and over again the same way puzzles me. So my question, my question to you is, isn't it time for us to revamp the current modal, the current economic system that we have to one that actually makes sense?
5: Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm all for economics getting a refresh. I'm all for the economy getting a refresh. It's something I talk about in holistic wealth and why I even came up with holistic wealth. If we look at it at the economy from a macro perspective, you know, there's so much income inequality. We have a racial wealth gap. We have certain groups that are shut out of this capitalist system. It's it, it's it's one of those pet peeves of mine too. And I I see you smiling because. it's an economy that's exploitative. We pull, 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 and we're not giving enough back. We're not giving enough back. And the system hasn't worked for a lot of folks. It hasn't worked for a lot of our minority communities, for our, our, our women, children, the most vulnerable among us. And so I definitely think we need a redistribution. I'm all for, you know, when we talk about the racial wealth gap, we talk about reparations. I'm all for, you know, policies like that, because I believe that there are some wrongs that weren't right, that weren't made right before. And we're going down a path that's not sustainable. COVID-19 showed us that it's not sustainable, right? And we look at the interplay between wealth, health, or mental health and all of that, it's, it's showing us, and even the environment, it's showing us that where we were not on a path to sustainability, we were doing the opposite. So definitely, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where we definitely need to not think about going back to that old normal, we need to think about creating this new normal and what we want our post-pandemic lives to look like
0: now what where I think it's so important for what you write, what you promote, what you talk about to our audience and others, uh especially since you have the pedigree the credentials to say it i don't you do um uh is to um that people understand that an economy isn't something that is divine or our economic system isn't divine, it is actually. Man-made. I notice I didn't say person made. I said man made for certain people who are invited into the game. And um, it, it, we need more people like you out there, uh, not just activists like myself, letting people know how uh, this is an economy that's actually behaving exactly as it should, don't you think? Or exactly as it was designed
5: exactly as it was designed. And, you know, it's unbelievable, the level of income inequality that we have right now. And I mentioned in the book that it's the number one economic problem. It's the number one problem that we have in the world. When you look at the growth in incomes of billionaires during the first half of COVID-19, when you look at certain companies and how they profited from this, it's just unbelievable. And so we've set up an economy where a few benefit and the vast majority don't. We saw where the deaths took place. We saw the people who were most vulnerable out there, the essential workers, transportation um, drivers, mechanics, people going out there and facing it and dying while others were more protected. Now, I, I do believe that we can, if there's that will, we can shape our economy to be more inclusive, And to be more equitable, and I think that's the route we need to go when we look at our post-pandemic lives. We can absolutely reshape, we can absolutely start to right some of those wrongs, and we can start to look at at having a a post-COVID economy that's more equitable.
0: Ms. Blair, in the context of your book, then because a lot of this is covered, uh, what can we do to empower folks? What are the the thirty six life life lessons, or at least some of the thirty six life lessons that uh, folks should actually take into making a better uh, a better a betterment for us all?
5: Yeah, so it's it's it, it can be looked at uh, at the personal level as well as the state level. And when we talk about, let's say macro the state level, you know, in the back of the book, I have this holistic wealth index uh, that is kind of like a uh, a framework that organizations can use, that state level governments can use.
0: I don't want to, to interrupt, but I have to. I, I don't want to interrupt, but I have to. What exactly is that, holistic wealth?
5: yep, yeah, so holistic wealth is the interconnection between these critical pillars. so, It's the financial uh, wealth. It's the uh, mental and emotional health. It is your physical health and your life purpose and spirituality and relationships as well in that. So all of that, I think, is, is that interplay between all of those factors and why we need to look at our economy more holistically. We need to look at our personal finances and our lives more holistically. We've seen the Great Resignation wave. That's also part of that organic trend mm-hmm. towards I want to live a life that's more authentic. I don't want to be just a number or stat. I want to live that life that gives me that balance, that joy, that meaning. And that's what we've seen some trends here that have that's been so basically true. that have been basically predicated on this whole holistic world concept now for some time. It's just that. It wasn't there before in terms, in terms of a book, and it wasn't there in terms of our, our vocabulary or way of communicating it. But all the trends that we're seeing now with a passion economy worth over 80 billion, with the great resignation wave, with people looking at how they can live a more meaningful life. I mean, COVID-19 has spurred that. So when we think about holistic wealth, when we think about organizations, when we think about governments around the world, this is a tool, this is a framework that we can all use to shape this post-pandemic era. And it's so funny, in the book, I talk about a little about economics too and how we focus too much on our, um, so you have these these moral um, resources and the economic resources. And we focus too much on our economic resources, not enough on our moral resources. And our moral resources are our relationships, our people, our labor force, the partnerships, the way we collaborate to help each other the way we reach out to help each other. Those are the moral resources that we'll need to pull in. We need to have an economy that's more focused on or moral resources when we shape our post-pandemic world rather than those economic resources that we always think about. And so what we think about is in extractive terms in exploitative terms. When we think about it in more moral terms, and I think we'll come closer to
0: what we want that life to look like, what we want our economies to look like. Ms. Blair, I mean, I, don't, I could not have said that any better. You're speaking directly to everything that I preach. Thank you. Uh, I mean, you do not know what it means to me to have an economist in the Western world say that I'm gonna have Richard Wolff on. I don't know if you've ever heard of Richard Wolf right here in, in, um, in the United States. Um, he teaches at, at uh, uh, not Yale, uh, uh, Princeton, I think it is. And he's gonna be on with us and he speaks the same language. And I've been trying to get more economists that can come out to the folks and let them understand that it's not solely about that economic piece that you speak about. Because right. think about this, uh, Ms. Blair, think about this. We have in corporations right now the executives that you know, you know what you know, you know the, the what the workers have been going through over the last several years. Yeah, and uh, and we also know that corporate profits are sky high, even in yeah. and they are sky high, and we have all these guys sitting pretty up there saying, "Well, I got me a great bonus." I mean, look how great we were able to increase profits, increase productivity. Not realizing that that wasn't you doing it, right? It was those guys down there doing it, but you are taking the spoils. Our economy is designed to be extractive, and the ones that don't work do it and yeah. it's folks like yourself and the book that you promote that in, that bring that promotes bringing people up that makes the difference so I mean um you don't know how happy I am to have yet another economist mm-hmm. validating these particular um these these particular issues. So tell me, um how can we, first of all, I mean it it is hard for those who are in in Panama we'd say viviendo la vida loca, living that life. How do we get those that are living that life understand that what they're doing really is um promoting what I call antiseptic slavery of the masses. How do we allow them to see that? Yeah, I
5: I think it's just what we're doing here now. And it's unbelievable because I think what they're doing isn't sustainable long term. Thank you. Thank you. It isn't sustainable. It's an unsustainable model. You have to look at you. You only have to look at what's happening with Amazon, with Tesla. Workers are going to wake up. They're going to realize that this has not served them. It's not serving their families This is becoming life and death. And some of the decisions that workers are making right now, whenever they step out to go to work, have been life and death during COVID-19. And COVID-19 has really shed light on that. The fact that it really is unsustainable. So they're building company models that are unsustainable. And they're building models that no longer work and will no longer work. That's why we have things like the passion economy, where workers are getting up on you know, Etsy. They're going on Shopify to create their own businesses. They're going on on different mm-hmm. platforms uh, to create their own business and really tap into their passions, into their skills, and what they can provide. And so I think we're going to see a blossoming of more of that. The Great Resignation wave. You know, when it started in 2020, people were saying, "Oh, maybe this will, you know, this will fizzle." As economists, we have not seen it fizzle. It's gotten. It's gotten worse. It's gotten more structured, more solidified. And I think it's something that they're going to have to wake up and realize. And companies are. They are waking up and they are realizing. So let's hope that it's for the good of all, it's for the benefit of all workers, that they do wake up and realize it's not sustainable. And of course, you know, there are people out there, other economists like myself who are also talking about this Trying to raise more awareness. You're also talking about it, and and people are talking amongst themselves. I think we will see some change, hopefully for the better for all of us. Uh, you know, so that we have a more uh economic model, a sustainable economic model.
0: You know, uh, Gar Alperovitz he's an economist, a professor out here at um. I think uh, I don't remember the American. I don't remember where it's at he's a historian as well What who who which university he works with, but uh he started to talk about the collective where where you know i mean instead of uh, exxon being run by all these executives et cetera that it's the you know they have a collective body and they they grow together or they fail together and if they if they fail they fail if they grow they grow, but everybody partakes of, partake of the spoils it is oh. uh, as you said it is something that i think Given the unsustainability of the, the the economic system that we have, that we are going to have to get to, now fighting that ten percent that controls everything—those that we call the managerial level, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera—they're powerful. They're the ones that control the media. They're the ones that control everything. So they, uh, uh, let me give an example: uh, programs like mine actually get throttled. So what we throttle, I don't know if you know the term throttle on the internet, which okay, so we get throttle. So what we do is we have to go around it using old technologies and all of that to get our to get our information to others. And it just slows down the process of educating the the masses. But again, uh what you do, what you write, what you promote, and what others do, I think it is so essential for us to eventually break that uh break that glass. So um before we go, tell us a little bit about uh about in more specific to your book now, as opposed to just specific to what we're talking about, talk a little bit about your book and why you think folks could get should get it, what they can get out of your book.
5: Yeah, absolutely. So it, the book is Holistic Wealth, 36 Life Lessons to Help You Recover from Disruption, Find Your Life Purpose and Achieve Financial Freedom. And as the book title suggests, there are 36 chapters there that cover off a whole bunch of different lessons that help you to really, you know, uh, find meaning, purpose in life. And and of course, in terms of that financial pillar to, to achieve financial freedom. And I think, you know, with what we started off talking about with the economy and the high inflation, people really feeling it in their pockets, it's a really good time for us to focus on you know the financial piece on the mental health piece and and all of that's covered in the book and there're strategies in there that people can use in terms of getting out of debt you know how you budget your money management investing for the long term and of course there're pieces in there in terms of a, you know like finding a personal mission and, and how you write out your personal mission statement and and living with purpose and meaning And so this book has been, you know, very dear to me. It stems from my personal story of having been widowed at only 31 and having to go through that grief and and really, you know, go through that disruption and master it. And so there's a whole thesis in the book about mastering the art of recovery from disruption. And I know we're all collectively In that space right now, even if you haven't lost a loved one or even if you haven't, you know, gone through any major disruption aside from COVID, that we are still in this collectively. We are still in this period of disruption where we we're looking for answers, you know, and we're we're looking for a way out. We're looking for a way to craft that life that we really want. So this book is a tool in that toolkit. It's it's um, very good for really getting practical tips and strategies for crafting that living a life of holistic wealth. And so it's available everywhere online right now, and you know in bookstores. And people can just grab a copy. It's it's also a great gift to give. Um, and it's so in line with what we've been talking about and how mm-hmm. people can really take hold of their lives, get their power back. Because I know with this economy. A lot of people feel powerless. A lot of people feel like they've lost control of their lives because of the type of income inequality and and, and the wealth gap that we've seen. But here are some strategies here that can make you feel more empowered to take the decisions you need to to own your life and to take back some of that control. Um, So I'm happy to share it. And I'm glad that, you know, uh, we can have this conversation because there are things we can do. It, you know, it might feel like, you know, everything's out of control, but we do still have a lot of control in terms of our own personal
0: lives. Let me tell you, I never feel out of control. I always feel in control and going out there and getting a damn thing done. So, uh and that's okay. what I try to promote on my, uh, on my program. And that's why I have people who think the same way, like you, you went out there and did something about it to empower others. So I think that is just wonderful that's out there and i'll i definitely want to promote not only personalities but books and all of that that's empowering people as opposed to being as you mentioned before that extractive taking something and leaving nothing back the last question i always ask my distinguished guests is what would you have liked me to ask you that i didn't
5: wow that's a tough one
0: it's usually Uh, so (laughs) it is
5: tough i can't think of anything and I can't think of anything right now. I think the points that I brought forward are points that were perfect for the show and and, and for people listening in. Uh but yeah, I think it's 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 been great. I can't think of
0: anything. Well, you know what? Uh, that that means I I kind of did my job. So, look, I I, I appreciate that. Look, uh Miss Keisha Blair, a trained economist and ex- uh, with extensive experience and the author of Holistic wealth, 36 life lessons to help you recover from uh, disruption, find your life purpose and achieve financial freedom. It's been my honor to have you on Politics Done Right. Thank you so kindly for having been here.
5: Absolutely.
0: And thank you so much for having me. You can listen. IES. But don't you forget, listen to us live on air at KPFT 90.1 FM on Thursdays at noon and at Fridays at 11 a.m. All Central Time. Please get one of my several books out there. As I see it, class warfare—the only resort to right-wing doom—for a contribution of $120, it's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120? How to make America utopia? Take away the economy from those who rigged it for a pledge of $120. Get any two of those books for $200. Any three of those books for $250. The. Contributions for my books go directly to support our station KPFT 90.1 FM alternatively folks please get your basic KPFT only membership for $40 a Pacifica only membership for $25 or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution just go to kpft.org choose politics done right for the program and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station it is definitely worth it. Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT on your mind. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support. That is there to provide that nourishment that we need. KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. Well, folks, that's it for today. You know how I'm going to end this baby. My name is Igberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right, and you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! I'm